What would happen if we give everyone an invitation to the table, believing everybody has something to bring and every generation some wisdom to share? What would happen if the passionate people of God became known for building bridges, making connections where there were once divides? What would happen if the love of God sparks a movement, transforming our own lives, our relationships, our communities? Let's find out together. Welcome to Bridged, a podcast about connection. Welcome to the Bridge Podcast. I'm Stacey Martin, your host, and I'm glad you're here. Today, we are joined by two of my favorite people in the entire universe, Paula Forte and Rebecca Woodman. Again, you can see this is the Zoom quarantine edition of the podcast. We're all coming from you from different locations. We're all coming to you with business on the top, but you know, <laughs> under the screen, there are pajama pants, there are workout clothes, there are elastic waistbands. Really, stay. <laughs> Luckily, this is, there will be no standing in this podcast. Okay. Well, ladies, I am just so thrilled that you guys are here. Um, for those of you who have not met Rebecca and Paula, Paula Forte is one of our pastors here on staff. She is in charge of family ministry at our NoDoc campus, and she is on the senior leadership team and heading up our Cultivating Kingdom Diversity Initiative. Rebecca Woodman is the director of our care and counseling department, and she is on our senior leadership team, and she's heading up the staff culture, which is really taking all of these new values that some of you guys have heard about uh, for Forest Hill and really getting them deep into the culture and DNA of Forest Hill. So I'm just thrilled you guys are here. I've had the privilege of sitting across the table from both Paula and Rebecca for, I mean, two years now. It started with Team 2020, um, planning the new vision and mission for Forest Hill, and now all three of us are on the senior leadership team together, so um, y'all have got a lot of wisdom, and I like to copy your answers when we have to vote in senior oh, leadership. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I don't know about that. That's so generous. <laughs> I, like to, I like for y'all to vote first, and then I, then I go. <laughs> but Rebecca, next meeting, we're just going to hold our vote and wait okay. and see how long we can okay. wait Stacey out. Okay. Well, then every single one of my comments will have an inflection, like a question, like Ron Burgundy. We are doing this, <laughs> waiting for you guys to affirm me. That's funny. That's funny. Well, today I really want us to talk, you know, this has been, this has been a crazy season. I mean, whether you look at it from the COVID side of things to what's happening in our country around um, systemic racism, this has been this just has felt unprecedented. It's felt uncertain. It's felt scary. It's felt exhausting. It's yeah. felt like, it's just felt divisive. Yeah. Um, what do you guys, how would you diagnose, and Rebecca, I'll go to you first, just since you're, since you're our mental health professional here, oh, how would you awesome. diagnose the emotional and mental state people are in right now? You know, it's interesting because I think that in the beginning, we were all like, oh, wow, it's going to be so nice. We have a slower pace of life or, you know, we were just all about not going out of our house or, you know, I mean, we didn't even think about masks in the beginning, right? Because we didn't even leave our house. Right. I mean, right. <laughs> so um, I think that, you know, it went for a small season, but we Americans are so like, um, we, we just can't, we can't sit on things. Like we're impulsive. We have very little endurance. And so, you know, we were good with this virus for about six to eight weeks. And then it was like, I'm going, I'm doing whatever I got to do. Put me on a mask. Now I'm out. Um, so we just, we can't do it. But I think that what, what my team and I are seeing from a counseling perspective is that, you know, 
really people were okay in the beginning. Like, you know, we started off okay. And we all kind of found a good rhythm with sleeping in a little bit later or, you know, seeing our kids a little bit more. But now we're at this place where people are just done. They're done. Myself included. <laughs> I think I hit a mental wall this week, which, which is why I changed venues and came up to the mountains. Um, but yeah, so I would just, I mean, we're, and people are hurting and they're confused and, you know, it goes everything from, I think we quickly shifted from the fear of COVID to now the pain of this racial injustice. And so I think my hope in all this is that whatever God has been doing, because I mean, we all know, like, if you read the Bible, you know that God doesn't allow anything that he doesn't want. And so clearly like this season has purpose. So I just hope that we don't come out of this and jump to the next thing. You know, I really hope that we take whatever fruit has been produced in this, but I would say that people are really struggling. And the main place that we're seeing it y'all is in marriages. So. Well, we were just talking uh, right before we came on air that we were talking about high water bills. And I said that my husband revoked my sprinkler privileges and I can tell you our marriage is affected because I'm leaving sprinklers on. We've had too much together time. <laughs> We've had well, too much together. John Woodman has been doing like virtual court from our kitchen table for three months. And I'm about to lose it. Like I'll hear him. I'm like loading the dishwasher. Kids are screaming. I'll hear him. Well, I told my client, your honor, ah, go, go buddy, go. I love you, but go. <laughs> Paula, what would you say? What do you feel like the emotional and a mental state is of, of people right now? Yeah, I, I agree with a lot with uh, what Rebecca said is that, um, um, you know, we were, we were okay um, in the beginning. And um, those of us who are like hardcore introverts, we're still pretty much okay. Um, let me just say that. Uh, <laughs> we're still, we're still just fine. Uh, <laughs> but but I mean, even with that, like having um, those of you with young children at home, I've been praying for my friends with young kids. I, I have older kids. And so when they start acting a little beside themselves, like I'm just like, everybody go to your corners. I don't have to say much because they're 18 and 16, right? Uh, <laughs> but but I agree. Like, like um, Rebecca, you said something very profound is, is that Americans do not know how to endure these long spaces of discomfort and conflict and unknowingness and um, and so um, ambiguity and and I think I think that that is um, part of the problem is that America is such a spoiled and privileged nation. Yes. Yes. That when something happens that throws us off, it's like six to eight weeks feels like an eternity. Yeah. And we, we really don't even shut fully down for those six to eight weeks, which is why we're still in this is because America never really shut down. They just like did it just enough. Um, and so it's, I think, I think it's symptomatic of, of our nation, the history of our nation. Um, and, and so yeah, and then and so then we switched. We we were in this COVID situation, and COVID provided the perfect storm yes. for this for the situations with Ahmad Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd. 
because there was no way to get away from media outlets. Even if you don't watch the news, then it was on social media. If you don't do social media, then it was on the radio. If you don't listen to the radio, then do they even have newspapers anymore? I don't know. <laughs> My dad still reads it. Okay, and there it is, right? So, so it was everywhere, and COVID provided the perfect storm for America to look at America's self and say, we have not dealt with this. That's and right. so... Uh, when you put trauma on top of trauma. That's right. That's right. And the thing that we've been talking about too, Stacey, on my team is what are the effects of all of us, especially kids, just like watching a murder? Like it's, you know, it's, it's porn, honestly. Uh, it yeah. is porn. There is a trauma that has come out of this. And we're already in a, like Paula, what you're saying, like we're already in a traumatized state because our life has been abnormal for three months right and then you go to like watching people die like it's so televised like your daily thing i mean i have chill bumps even thinking about that yeah i don't know so you know my concern really is like what does it look like when we do come out of this Mm. and you know especially for our kids yeah well and i you know i've got two young sons and my eight-year-old michael has been he wants to talk a lot about what's going on in the nation not so much the COVID stuff because he honestly he's loving it he's like mom's home we're playing a lot of football right now youtube is babysitting them so godspeed you know but he's been really concerned about racism and that's partly because his two best friends are african-american males And he is very, very concerned about it. He wants to know, like, he's having a hard time believing that it happens. Mm -hmm. He's having a hard, he's having a hard time trying to figure out who are the bad guys and who are the good guys. Mm -hmm. You know, like we, I think we polarize everything in the United States to be good or bad. Yes. There's no gray. And so you always have to find the hero and you always have to find the villain. And he's like, but wait, my two best friends are black and they're the good guys. But I have police officers that right. help protect my city yes, and right. they're good guys. But wait, yes, those right. bad guys. And then why are those people protesting and looting? Are, ba- are bad guys coming to our name? Like he can't figure out who the bad guys are. Yeah. And, and that like has really made him nervous. And I keep trying to tell him that we're talking so much about racism in our house. Um, and, and partly cause we've got neighbors who are people of color and, and, and we just, we want it to, I want it to be different. Like, I don't want this to continue and I don't want my family to perpetrate it in any way possible. But like you said, Rebecca, it's been really hard for his brain to figure out why this kind of evil even exists in the world. Mm-hmm. I told, um, I said I, on another podcast or something, I was telling the story about our 11 year old Hallie and how. When she first heard the story of Ahmad, you know, because that was kind of the beginning of it all, she like fell on the couch crying because she's like, what, how did people even get this way? You know, like how did, how, how, how does somebody even think that just because his skin color is different, that he's, he's more bad or whatever, you know, like kind of what you're saying. But I think it's sad. And I think it's such an immature mentality of us to believe that there has to be a good and a bad, like, Mm -hmm. you know, real mature, especially people who are followers of Jesus. There's a lot of gray. Jesus lived in the gray. He didn't live in the white and he didn't live in the black. He lived in the gray. That's right. And let's be honest. Jesus was a person of color. Yeah. Can we just go ahead and say that Jesus was white? I used to say when I was a kid, I was going to marry Jesus, (laughs) y'all. <laughs> well, there, there's something, something about Jesus, Jesus, but 
that theology is like, I do, I do remember a purity conference where you say Jesus was your boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. Was that, was that in that era? We didn't, we didn't do the purity conferences. We had all the true love weights and purity rings and stuff, but I never went to a conference. So I, was that in that era? I obviously didn't go to a conference either. I think y'all heard I didn't go to a conference either, but I was going to marry Jesus by golly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think some people are, are wondering right, right now, why it seems like talk about George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, why it seems to be taking over pulpits. Why do you think that, why should churches be talking about this right now? Paula. Okay. (laughs) So, (laughs) So um, I think you, you cannot talk about the gospel without talking about um, how the gospel plays out in society and where it does not play out in society. Um, all throughout the, the biblical text in the Old Testament and, and the New Testament, um, when God had a problem with Israel, um, so many times it was because of how they treated um, the people w- within um, Israel within that nation, as well as what were the enemies of God um, in, in that time in, in, in our world history, right? And even in the New Testament, we see over and over and over again, Jesus having a problem with the way that people treated other people, whether it was how the Pharisees and um, the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin treated people, or whether it was how the, the groups of people that were clumped into Gentiles treated people. Jesus had a problem with us treating individuals who were made in the image of God less than that. And so we cannot talk about the gospel without talking about how we treat God's people. And so that's, I think that's why, and and I'm really glad that we have people who are moving past the theory of the gospel, past the theory of salvation and putting it into practical application, which comes down to loving God and loving our neighbor. So I think the church is in a better place um, for, um, for where we are, for where we are. So that's why I think, that's why I think, I think it's happening and it can't be ignored. It's almost like if you don't mention it now, you're like, you are screaming that you have no idea how to use the biblical text at this point if you're ignoring it you're telling the entire world i have not taken a class on preaching pastoral care nothing i <laughs> i am completely ill-equipped for my job if you're ignoring it at this point so that's why i think they're doing it well we got i hope this person well maybe i do hope this person listens to the podcast but we got an email this week that basically said hey listen i tuned into your sunday service to hear the word of god and all i heard about was george floyd so could we stop talking current events and go back to the gospel? And one of our uh, executive team members willingly and gladly took on that response. Yes. Because um, I know what he said. I know what he said. He said, this is the gospel. Yes, right. And so interesting. I do right. think people look at it and they're like, well, that's current events or that's social justice. But like you're saying, Paula, th- those things are the gospel and social justice are intertwined. That's right. How Jesus led. What I mean, That's Jesus right. died for all of us. That's right. right? All of us. That's, That's right. right. You can't stand on the cross and say this is just for these. Right. This is for everyone. Like right. if it was just for one, I would have done the same thing. But what the only thing I would add, I totally agree with what Paul is saying. The only thing I would add is that we have a responsibility as the church, the big C church, to be ahead of culture. Mm. And we're not. We struggle with that. Like we can't mm. get there. So what happens is the church lags behind culture, but it must speak into culture. 
Yes. And so, you know, I mean, I think there's a response, there's a, there's a moral, there's a spiritual, um, there's an ethical responsibility to speak into, or really to try to be ahead, but you know, that's only by God's grace. I pray that one day that will happen. I don't think we're there right now, but, um, really the church needs to be the loudest voice, you know, in the community, the church needs to be louder than the news. Yeah. Um, but well, Paula, it's our heard- responsibility to point out sin. That that's the that's the that's the responsibility of the pastor, um, and and of the prophet that preaches on Sunday morning is to point out sin so that we can move closer to what God has ordained for us to be right, so that we can move through that sanctification process. And racism, like any sin, does not like to be exposed, right? Mm-hmm. And so and so, what happens is. People who struggle with this idea um, that that the sin in their life could be racism or simply just not being anti-racist, right? Then when we expose it, it becomes very uncomfortable. It's like exposing anything else. It's like if we got up and did a series on sexuality, then somebody would email in and say, I didn't get on, preach the gospel. I didn't get on here to hear about um, fornication or LGBTQ or whatever, like just take your pick because <laughs> we all have sin and each of us has to make a cognizant decision once we decide to follow Christ to deal with the sin God exposes in that moment. Yeah. And, and some of us, unfortunately, in the capital C church, um, decide not to deal with it. And we, and with this topic specifically, we decide not to deal with it by saying it's not a gospel issue. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you this. So say you're somebody who's sitting in church and you do not think you're racist. You've mm-hmm. never used the N-word. You've never blatantly done anything racist. But all of a sudden, you, they're talking about George Floyd. They're talking about Ahmaud Arbery. They're talking about Breonna Taylor. And you start to feel something like this. Conviction? I, yeah, I call it like heartburn, like holy heartburn. Like you can't Conviction, I love that. It's just something, what are you supposed to, like, is that a sign that, like you were saying, Rebecca, is that conviction that you've got something in your heart that you haven't dealt with? Well, I think, I mean, I agree with what Paul is saying, because I think that every time something is highlighted, whether it's being taught, whether it's in a conversation, you know, whatever venue it may come to you, you know, you, like, real, you know, real, um, I guess, spiritual maturity says, okay, Lord, examine my heart. Like if there is anything within me, you know, that is opposed to God, what you want, what you desire, Lord, like search my heart, know me. That's what scripture says, right? right. That's and right. I think, you know, this is like, I'm agreeing with what y'all are saying, because I think that right now, like what people are being required to kind of search is how have I maybe contributed to the systemic issues that have happened with racism? And I, so I would say, Stacey, to your question, like, I would hope that whether it's I mean, not just with racism, but anything like whether it's alcohol, whether it's parenting, whether it's, you know, the words that you use out of your mouth, like anytime you feel that little, you know, holy tingle or whatever it is that you would really allow the Lord to examine your heart and not be scared of it because the outcome of what God is going to do is always better than where you are now. You're always going to land in a better spot than where you are like if you allow the Lord to do something. So... And I, you know, I mean, I'll just speak for myself. Like I, I would very much say that I was not a racist. I would very much say that, you know, my kids go to extremely diverse schools and 
My son's best friend is an African-American boy. And um, my 11 year old daughter, like, you know, she would say that her favorite people are her, you know, her black friends. And so, you know, I would, and, and my parents raised me very much to not be racist. Like my dad grew up in middle Georgia where it was like so prevalent. Like you sit on this side and you sit on this side. And, you know, I say that the Lord plucked my dad literally out of that in terms of his mental and emotional, the way that he would see it, because he has always raised us to like fight it and to be different. And I, you know, and I, so I'm really thankful for that. But I also do know that my white privilege has in some way contributed to the hurt of the system, you know, like it can't not. That's what, I, that's what I'm learning. Like, that's what God's teaching me in this is that as much as I would like to say, no, you know, Rebecca's good. Like we've, you know, we don't believe in that. We don't, we don't, we don't subscribe to that. Like we have still contributed. And I just have to say this too. So Kristen Bly, who I just adore on my team, she said something to me last week and I've repeated it so many times because it was profound for me. Like it's one of those things that, you know, when somebody says something to you and you're like, oh my gosh, I'll remember that forever. Um, I said, you know, Kristen, I was like, I just like, it's just so painful. Like it just hurts so much. I just wish I could change this for you. I wish I knew what to say, whatever. And she said, Rebecca, your hurt is my healing. Mm. And I'm like, wow, that's like, that's the gospel right there. Right? Like yep. his hurt it is. is our healing, it right? Is. It is. Isn't that so beautiful? That's it, man. That's like yes. top to bottom. That's what he came and died for. So. Well, Paula, I have sat in two meetings with you and I heard Mike say it this weekend where you have said that we, we make, and I, if I mess this up, correct me, like we make racial reconciliation too complicated. Like we, mm. we make it too complicated trying to figure out how white people and black people or white people and people of color can get along mm. because of why? Um, because we haven't learned how to love our neighbor as ourselves. Um, and I'm sorry if I messed up your recording. My dog got a pin cap and was like really trying to digest it. And I was like, Dear Lord. I don't know what to do. See, this is what happens when we have to quarantine and work from home. You should have stood up with the camera on. I don't know what to do. It would have seen everyone, your pajama pants. Everyone in the pajama. real world, yes, I have on pajama pants. I would like to thank Rebecca and Stacy for <laughs> outing me. I have on pajama pants. Listen. On yoga okay. pants. So I ain't gonna <laughs> yoga pants. Yoga <laughs> pants. So um, yeah, because racism is a symptom of us not or what happens in racist systems, even if you're not, don't consider yourself individually racist. And I'm gonna come back to that. Um, the the symptoms happen because we have not learned how to love our neighbor as ourselves. Really. That's really what happens. And so um, and so again, back to this conversation of being black and white in America, we think everything is this or everything is that there's no gray. You cannot personally, it's true that you can personally not be a racist. That is very true. But one's inability to acknowledge the effects of racism in this country still does not make it okay. Like, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't eradicate anyone of responsibility because it's not personally you. Right. Um, and so we live in a, a community, like we're, a, especially COVID, we've all figured out like we're, we're a communal people. And so um, to, to say, oh, well, that's not me. Like there's a misunderstanding in regards to community. 
Um, but to love, to love your neighbor is really what it comes down to. Racism is a symptom of America's historical inability to love their neighbor. From the beginning of, of when the first colonizers came, that was an inability to love your neighbor. And it has continued ever since. Love your neighbor, not just love your neighbor, but love your neighbor as yourself. And so I would just love for people to vote and see who would be okay with somebody kneeling on their neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. And if you can't raise your hand and say that you would feel like that is loving, then let's go ahead and say it wasn't loving what happened to George Floyd and let's condemn the action. But, but I think there's a piece of us to what Rebecca was saying that has not been inspected and a piece of us as a nation that has not been expected, that inspected, that has not been honest to say we don't love people of color the way we love white people. We don't. We don't. And we've been comfortable with that for way too long. And so it comes down to being able to love your neighbor as yourself, whether it's racism, whether it's sexism, whether it's homophobia, whether it's ableism, whether it's age, we can put all the isms out there. It comes down to loving your neighbor as yourself. So today it's race. You know, in a year, the church will be arguing about, especially in uh, white evangelical churches, still having that age-old argument about women in leadership, right? Okay, well, men who have a problem with that, would it be loving if someone told you you couldn't use your gift? Would that be loving? If it wouldn't be loving, then stop it. That's where it all comes down to. Those are the lines. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. If it falls outside of that, it's sin. And probably... And probably really at the root of it in a lot of ways is us even finding our own personal identities in Christ and then realizing that if I have, if I'm a co-heir to the throne yep. because of what Jesus did, if I'm a daughter of the King, yep. then Paula, you're a daughter of the King and we don't look alike, but we're sisters. Yeah. yeah. And it's, and we're okay yeah. with people being daughters and sons of the King. But when I have to lose some of my privilege for that other sibling, then we have sibling rivalry. There was a really interesting meme that was going around that basically took um, racism through the lens of the prodigal son, mm. where, you know, it's kind of the idea of black lives matter versus all lives matter. And this was wow. the prodigal wow. son, the older brother was saying, hey, listen, all, all lives matter. All brothers matter. And the dad's like, you're missing the point right now. He matters. Right. This right. He matters. And, and I thought, gosh, it's so interesting that we have to look at things through different lenses to be able to, I don't know, have it sink in. Like even what you were saying, Rebecca, with what Kristen said, like hearing it in a way that, or hearing it from people that you love, that helps you, I don't know, just helps you connect. It makes such a difference. So let me ask you this, Paula. I had a friend yesterday, we were talking about this and she said, I'm just so nervous about saying the wrong thing. And the one, the, the first example she said is, what is the right term to not offend my friends of color? Is it, are they black? Are they African-American? Do we say person of color? She's like, I just feel like, I feel like I want to talk about racism, but the very first thing that keeps me from feeling confident is knowing what would be the right term. What would you say? Um, I would say that um, being silent is just as bad as saying the wrong thing. I would say that both sides need grace at this moment in our, in our nation's history. 
um, I would say that have the conversation first with people who you know love you and you love them. Um, this is not the time to make new confidants of color. It's not, it's, it's not. Um, there are a few people of color who have been divinely charged with building this bridge. And I say divinely charged because building this bridge is expensive. It is not cheap. It is hurtful and it is hard and it will cause pain that people of color and white people who do not build this bridge will never know. Um, so everybody can't do this work. Um, I would say that um, know where God, for people of color, know where God has called you to engage. Know what gifts and talents and passions and temperament God has given you and engage from that level. And if you cannot have those conversations, then let's be honest and say, I can't, I can't have this conversation with you. I need, I, you, you need to talk to somebody else. I can point you to somebody else and not feel ashamed about that. I'm giving like not one to 10 in any order. I'm just giving a bunch of suggestions that'll help. Um, and so if, if you are a white person that does not have any um, friends who are people of color, I would say you're probably not gonna make any real good friends right now. You can have acquaintances and you can strengthen relationships with acquaintances. But right now, there's not, a, there's not a climate where trust can even build to start these very hard conversations. When you learn how to swim, you don't jump in the deep end. And so um, have the conversations with somebody that, that, that you trust or that knows you even a little bit. Now, in regards to terminology, a lot of us don't know. I don't know. Black, African-American, person of color. I honestly don't know. I reached out to Mekdez um, Haddis, who's on our um, staff. And I said, I said, are we still calling white people white people? Or are they person of non-color? Like, what are we doing? Like, what are we, what are we doing? And she's- I would like for you to refer to me to that for like <laughs> the rest of- Hey, Rebecca, person of non-color. Person of non-color. <laughs> you call me that? <laughs> so terminology is fluid, um, but I think people can hear, hear your heart if they're hearing you, which is also probably another indicator to not have these deep conversations on, um, with people you don't know on social media because they can't hear you. They can't hear your heart. I think that is such an important reminder that, that all relationships take time. They all do. of them. I mean, every they single do. relationship, whether it's with a neighbor who looks just like you or somebody who's different, every relationship is about, and I think Christians sometimes do this wrong when we talk about evangelism, because a lot of times we're like, hey, stranger, let me tell you what's wrong with your life and tell you about Jesus, which really so much of it is a relationship, you know, yeah. and about like, I mean, all of it takes time. It is day in, day out. And it's interesting. My neighbor across the street, her name's Kim. And she is a woman of color and she's got three teenage and college kids. And um, we've lived across the street from each other for five or six years now. And I consider her a good friend. And when all this happened, I called her and I said, I just want to tell you, I'm really, really sorry that this is the reality for your sons. Like, I'm really sorry. Like, I, I just want to sit and cry because it's like our neighborhood wants to have a neighborhood watch. But I realized that the reality is, is you've got teenage black sons 
who are going to walk home from a friend's house and there's going to be some vigilante neighbor who like I am grieved by that. And so yesterday's that happened to my daughters. Oh, yesterday in our neighborhood, my daughter was walking our dog and um, she, a neighbor came out of her house and asked her, where do you live? How long have you lived here? Um, can you, sh can you point to where your house is and grilled her about whether or not she belonged in that neighborhood in, in our neighborhood? yesterday sorry paula my daughter is 18. she's like 100 pounds soaking wet literally they left their, they left their key at home and and they were told don't go into the backyard to try to get through the the sunroom right to try to see if the sunroom is open and they did it anyway we had to have a discussion last night why young pretty african-american black girl you cannot go into your backyard because the neighbors might call the police and if they show up you might get shot and you might die so sit out there in the heat and wait that is the reality and i i need people to understand that yeah. there's nothing christian about that there's nothing gospel about that but it is convenient for us to ignore it and say let's talk about you know whatever else and that just makes that just makes me want to weep. I mean, it makes me want to weep because it's reality, but it makes me want to weep because I consider you a friend, and I it makes like, me want to beat somebody up. Yeah, well, yeah, it makes me want to let air out of people's tires. I don't know. If that's, <laughs> that's probably not the gospel. Not gospel. That's Jesus tables over in the market. Jesus got mad Listen. about stuff. Yeah. You know, I just I just feel like so much of it is about us taking the time to build relationships. Because you're right, like you can't, it's going to be hard for you to have that conversation, Paula, with that neighbor that says, that feels, it feels like you're actually making progress as opposed to it being like this, because she doesn't know you and you don't know her. And that but I'm is going to, I'm uh, yeah. going to have a conversation with her. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, yeah. Well, let me guys, let me ask you this. This will be our last question. Um, so right now in our world, the world is in desperate need for hope. I mean, Paula, your story just from even last night, like it's just, we, our world is desperate for hope. And we as believers, I mean, we believe and we know that we corner the market on hope, right? Like we feel like the answer is Jesus Christ. But again, I'm not going to walk around with a sign that talks about Jesus because I don't have that relational equity. So how can we right now, like, how can we be a voice of hope? to our world right now, knowing that we corner the market on hope. Hmm. You gonna go, you want me to go? I was gonna say, I was gonna ask the same question. Um, I'll go over, Rebecca, you can have the last, you can wrap it up. Is that okay? Or you wanna go yeah, first? Girl. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Um, I, I think that hope springs eternal when we don't give up. When we don't give up. There, we, we, we have given up at different times in our world on the conversation of race because we did not have hope that it could be eradicated. Mm. Um, race is a social construct. It is something just like it was created by humans, sinful humans. It can be eradicated by sinful humans. Um, if we have hope enough to keep working, and so I would say that we get to determine if hope springs eternal 
by our actions. Um, um, the substance of our faith is, is um, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, right? And so does our faith have substance? If it has substance, then we have to have hope. And you don't hope in something that you don't go after. So that's what I would say. That's right. <clears throat> I agree with that. And I would also just say that, you know, with any pain in life, this is, this is one slice of a pie of many, many pieces of pain that we feel, um, both personally and in our society. And I would say that, you know, and C.S. Lewis, I love this quote, you know, what he says is in our pleasures, he is whispering and in our pain, he is shouting in order to rouse a deafened world. And we're in pain, like our, our world is in pain. And so this is our time to hear the Lord. And those of us, like to your question, those of us who have hope and listen to the Lord and want to be like him, you know, I mean, I think it's, it really is being like Jesus. It's being gentle. It's being humble. It's being willing to listen. But in, in the, in the pain is where your faith is really exercised. And so I think that, you know, we have to, we have to really stand behind, like, God, do I believe that you are true when you say all things are possible with you? Mm. You know, do I, do I take you at your word for that? And, um, and then live there. And, you know, because God, like, yes, you don't, a swimmer doesn't jump in the deep end when he's learning how to swim, but Jesus is where, you know, when we're in the deep end is where we find out that we really need Jesus, mm. you know? And I think that we are in the deep end right now, whether it's the fear of illness or it's, you know, the racial divides or it's the marital distress, we're, we're swimming in a deep end that is so revealing to us that we can't do this on our own. And so when we say that we're people of faith, then we've got to like, now is our time to show that. Yeah. And, um, and really like trust God for what he says that he's worth and what he says that he'll do and not just say that we trust him, but like really trust him. And I would say too, Stacey, just one other thing I would want to add here is like going back to the, you know, we don't have endurance <clears throat> part of what I, you know, I believe that I want to be like, I want to show my love by is keeping endurance in this. And when, you know, when the next thing comes up, you know, when the presidential election comes up or the, you know, I mean, I don't know, like maybe it's remote learning that we're talking about that gets all the press. I want to like keep, I, I want to keep the pace of like, this still matters to me. Yeah. Like my, you know, my friends of color who are hurting, like I'm still hurting with you. I haven't moved on to the next thing. And I think that that's part of it. And, you know, I keep thinking like, if we really want to be like Jesus, he didn't just ditch the scene. Like he stayed there with Zacchaeus and then he said, Hey, you're coming to my house. Yeah. Like, I'm not just moving to the next person that's in a tree. That's lonely. Like, Hey, I want to actually come and hang out with you. So I'm going to stay the course with you. And I think that's how we show love right now. So I don't think just posting one thing on social media and being like, Hey, I'm good. I'm an anti-racist. Like you didn't check a box. Like you're not being more like Jesus when you do that. I'm sorry. So that's good. No box checkers is good. Box checkers. But really like, you know, most of us, we were raised or, you know, my mom taught me all the time. She's just right out there. And she would always say, Rebecca, they will know we are Christians by our love. That's it. 
They will know we are Christians yes. in love. And it's not what you try to show necessarily. It's like how you stand by it. It's like, don't just, yeah. And it goes back to the whole thing about in the Bible when it talks about praying, you don't pray yeah. so that people see you. That's right. You, know? you That's pray good. to have communion with your father. And I think we're in pain right now. Like we are desperate. We've never needed him more than we need him right now. Yeah. And so let's recognize that. And let's like really live by faith being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Yes. Well, Rebecca, since you were just talking about communion with our father, would you commune us on out of this podcast? Yes, I will. I will. Um, Jesus, thank you that you are who you say you are, God. And thank you, Lord, that when you extended your arms on that cross, that you didn't say it's just for you. God, you said it is for everyone. It's for everyone. And Lord, I, I know for myself, I've never needed you more than I need you right now. God, because I'm selfish and I'm tired and I'm angry. And Lord, I, I need you to help me put into practice everything that I know. God, I want for myself and for my friends, Lord, to look more like you. I want to come out of this COVID-19 period, Lord, recognizing that you had purpose in it. And, um, and Father, that you are good and you are using it, Lord. You are producing fruit even in our dysfunction. Yes. And Lord, I pray, Father, that for our nation that we would heal. Oh. God, and I pray that we would heal in a way like we have never, we've never had healing before, God. Mm -hmm. Because you do tell us with you, all things are possible. Yes, God. And that's not just like a, oh, but hey, here's a side note that maybe we can never heal racial injustice. Oh. Or maybe that's a side note that this can never be fixed. God, you said all things. Yes. And so, Lord, we are trusting you and we are believing you. And God, I pray for my white friends that we would have um, a grace and um, God, that we would just as you said, God, break our hearts for what breaks yours, Lord, that we would be broken for the things that hurt our friends. And Lord, I pray for my African-American friends, God, that they would have grace for us too. Sorry, maybe that was the Lord calling us. Um, that our African-American friends would have a grace for, for us too, to say like, hey, we're trying. We want this to be different. You know, see it, believe it, God. I pray that we would come into unity right now, yes, Lord. Yes, Father, that, that we would be of one mind, of one heart, Lord, looking to you, Father. Yes, you, are, you, you are the author and the, and the creator and the finisher of our faith, Lord. And so, Jesus, we, we need you. We want you. We want to look like you. God, we want to be together in you. And God, we trust you, Lord. We throw everything that we have, Father, at the foot of your cross, saying, Jesus, heal us. Yes, God. In your precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, Amen. thanks, friends. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Rebecca and Paula. I know I did. I just love sitting across from you guys. I can't wait till we're back together again. And I just miss y'all seeing y'all so much in person. Mm -hmm. And friends, I hope you take this conversation and um, do what Rebecca and Paula said. Ask the Lord to search your heart. Yes. and find all the ways that are not in alignment with what he wants. I'm doing the same thing. I am every day trying to say, God, I know I am sinful and broken. You have yeah. got to show me because if I try to look with my own eyes, I'm only going to see the good. I'm only going to see what I think is right about me. Not what, I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. I think I am so skinny. I think I am so all <laughs> things. I don't <laughs> feel it. You are silly. Lord, give me eyes. 
Well, thanks so much, friends. Join us next week. We're going to continue this conversation about God's love and how we can build bridges because um, that's what we do here at Force Hill. We build bridges and connect everyone to the dynamic life of Christ. Thanks so much and have a great Thank week. Thank you. Bye-bye.